Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite quotes from modern Christian preaching comes from a, an evangelical megapastor who was particularly popular in the 90s and early 2000s named Tony Campolo. Tony once told a large crowd of evangelical Christian people, it bugs the shit out of me that every time I blink my eyes, a child dies of hunger. And it bothers me even more that most of you are more concerned about the fact that you just heard a pastor use a bad word than you are about the fact that every time you blink your eyes, a child dies of hunger. It's the kind of hypocrisy and obsession with all the wrong things that religious people in general, but Christians in particular, are known for in our culture, and it makes it very unpopular and unsavory to be a part of this movement. Because Christians are hypocrites. You know that as well as I do, because you are one, and so am I. And that hypocrisy is on full display in the story this morning from the Gospel of John, where religious people, obsessed with all the wrong things, ignore all the most important stuff. It's what my dad used to call majoring in the minors, focusing on all the wrong stuff when what's really important slips on by. But before we dig too deeply into that, just a a little historical note. For some reason, all of the gospel writers give Pilate something of a pass in this story of Jesus' crucifixion, despite the fact that Pilate, according to history and according to the creeds that we confess, is the one responsible for Jesus' death. Nevertheless, Pilate, who was known in history as being a brutal, cruel man who loved using crucifixion as a tool of shame and oppression. And nevertheless, he looks a little bit soft in these stories, and the attention is more placed on the Jews, particularly the religious elite, the powerful among Jesus' friends and family in Jerusalem. As Vikram Marissa mentioned, by the end of this story, everybody is implicated. Everyone betrays Jesus, hands him over to death on a cross. No one's hands are clean. But there's a group who tried real hard to not notice how bloody their hands really were. And so today, those who had taken Jesus first to the high priest, to the powerful elite among the Jews in Jerusalem, now drag him across the city to go to Pilate's headquarters. Pilate, the Gentile Roman governor of Judea. Pilate, the guy who can really get things done. Pilate, the guy who can flex the empire's muscles and bring this Jesus thing to a conclusion. And so the Jews of Judea, those in charge, they bring Jesus to Pilate's headquarters to hand him over to be crucified, but they don't want to go inside. They don't want to go inside the house of a Gentile because if they do, then they would become impure. And they wanted to avoid ritual defilement so that they could still eat the Passover. Seriously? They are handing a man over 
for innocent blood to be shed. But they just want to keep clean enough so that they can still make it to Grandma's house for Seder that night. Because that's what matters. As the empire is flexing its muscles and everyone is conspiring to kill an innocent man, you're worried about looking nice and being in the right and pure and proper place to be able to do the good religious stuff. You know, it's the kind of thing that says that you can be a good Christian as long as you dress up pretty on Sunday morning and make it to worship once a week and never get caught on a hot mic saying one of George Carlin's favorite seven words. As long as you maintain the right list of who's in and who's out, you can be a good Christian. Despite the fact that you spend the rest of the week turning your back on the poor, closing our ears to the cries of children whose blood is running in the streets of Syria, the rest of the week retreating back to our echo chambers on Facebook and Twitter where we only ever listen to people who agree with us already and just hurl rhetorical bombs across the ideological battleground because we're right and everybody else is wrong. As long as you show up looking pretty on Sunday morning, you can spend the rest of the week sacrificing your children on the altar of perfection and purity and achievement as opposed to their God-given worthiness. You can keep all your lists and check them twice to point out who's naughty, who's nice, to measure each other up, to pile the shame on those already ashamed. As long as you're pure and pretty on Sunday morning. It's that hypocrisy that I fully own. I am chief among sinners here in all of the above. You all know what it is to give lip service to Jesus on Sunday morning and spend the rest of the week serving the empire and all its powerful manifestations, all the screaming greed of money, all the broken promises, all the illusions of power that never fully satisfy. And so this story this morning confronts us, challenges us with this reality. shows us in the mirror of those who think they're right, who think they've got it all figured out and where it really matters couldn't be farther from the truth. And it ought to pierce our conscience. This season of Lent is a time for honesty, a time for reflection on all the ways in which we fall short of God's expectations for us, in all the ways in which we fail to live the God-given worthiness that is showered upon us in baptism and instead serve the empires of division and shame and exclusion and loneliness. But this honest reflection about who we really are and who we really serve ought not drive us to despair, but rather to the cross and to the font to the table where God still pours out God's love even upon those of us 
whose hands are not clean in this terribly dirty story. Because while this story reveals to us the ways in which we have fallen short, it also shows us the way through and beyond. And it comes in that haunting, confusing, beautiful exchange between Pilate and Jesus inside the house where the righteous people, self-righteous people, refuse to go. In that house where Pilate interrogates Jesus, and Jesus says, y'all have no idea what's really going on here. You have no idea what power really looks like. You have no idea what kingdom really is. I don't play by your rules. I don't live by those expectations. I don't flex the muscles of empire to get my way. And Pilate says, so then tell us, what is truth? You're saying you're pointing us beyond to some other whole thing. What is that thing? What is true? What is the truth? What is real? What is right? What is good in this weird world in which we live? And Jesus answers not with words, but with his body and blood. Jesus answers Pilate not with some witty commentary or smart and shameful retort, but with his own body and blood as he walks with arms wide open to the cross. Because it is there, it is there that the truth is found. Because it's there where God continues to speak a word of love and grace into a world that would want God as far as possible away from our illusions of power and worthiness that we have claimed for ourselves on our own terms. It is there where God continues to shower with forgiveness and grace a world that would leave God dying on the street in the face of a broken child. It is there where God still hangs with arms wide open, heart bursting with love, filled with compassion down to God's guts that are turning and churning in love for the world that simply does not know what's really going on. A world that refuses to hear that sometimes it's better to be compassionate than to be right. That often it is better to claim our vulnerability than to twist whatever screws of power we might think we own. God has not stopped speaking those words of grace and love despite our inability to know what they sound like above all the other din and clamor. There is an echo in this story of another story that we heard several weeks ago. The story we heard when we were gathered here in the evening around bread and wine and ashes and chocolate. 
where we entered into this season of Lent with an honest reflection on how broken we are, on how truly devastating the power of sin is in our lives and in the life of the world. And we heard that night the story of the Good Shepherd, the one who in a world in love with death instead comes to bring abundant life and does so by laying down his life for the sheep and to speak words of grace and compassion, justice and mercy in a world in love with words of hatred and violence and fear. And Jesus says in those days, in that story, that the the sheep know my voice and they follow me and I give myself to them. For the thief, the bandit, comes only to steal and to destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Just keep listening, and the Word of God will make you fully and abundantly alive. But it is so much easier to listen to the thief, to the bandit, to Barabbas, whom we would choose over Jesus any day of the week except Sunday morning. And yet, despite our love affair with violence and self-righteousness and purity at the expense of compassion, that good shepherd just keeps on speaking those words of grace and love speaking from the bath, speaking from the table, speaking from the cross. You, even you, who know little to nothing about what it means to truly live abundantly and freely in God's compassionate love, you, You are still mine. And so we gather week after week as this broken but beautiful family, helping one another strain our ears in the midst of all those other voices to listen, to pick out that sure and certain word of grace and life from the mouth of the Good Shepherd to listen to the voice of compassion that might flow through us and into the world, to listen to the voice that is willing to be powerless rather than to use power over others to get our way, to listen to the one who is able and willing day after day after day to forgive even me, even you, even us, and to keep on speaking until all this broken world is called home. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.